Romans 10, as we wrap up our gospel fluency study and discussion this morning, would you pray with me as we come to the Word? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bring us to your Son, Jesus, this morning. Let the Scriptures be the guiding light that we see. Let the Scriptures be your voice again, that we would know your Son, your beloved Son. Help us to see Jesus this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you turn on the news or look up the news, you will see the declared opinions of sinful men and women using stories of lives broken by tragedy to push their different ideas and agendas that lead to the rise of self over God. That's what we see on the news, people's opinions. If you check the public square, which is Twitter today, the public square is Twitter, you'll find people declaring their hatred of one another. That's what you see on Twitter. He's wrong, she's wrong, I'm right, can't stand him, can't stand her, even amongst some theologians. You'll see hatred. If you look at social media, any platform, you'll find lies being declared as truth. And if we believe these lies and we bring them into our lives, it leads to destruction. The world is ready to declare its opinions, its ideas and agendas, its lies. And as we are witnessing in our world today and has, have been witnessing since Genesis 3, if we live according to the world's opinions, if we live according to the lies rooted in sin, it leads to brokenness and destruction Definitely not to human flourishing. And I wondered this week as we've talked about, you know, we are display people, right? We display the gospel with our life, but we are also declaration people. We declare with our mouth. So I was wondering, do we have something to say in this world? Do we have something to declare into a world with its, all its lies and darkness and brokenness, misunderstandings and confusion about who we are? Do we have something to declare? And today is Epiphany. Actually, Epiphany was Friday. Today is the baptism of the Lord, which is a celebration during Epiphany, the first Sunday of Epiphany. Both Epiphany and baptism, the baptism of the Lord, celebrate the same thing, God manifesting His Son, God revealing His loving, redeeming power in Jesus Christ to the world. That's what we celebrate, epiphany, manifestation is another way to say it. Think of the Magi, they come to Jesus, they find Him. How did they find Him? The, the light that God had given. He revealed the King of Kings to these kings who came looking. At the baptism of the Lord, we read this this morning. When Jesus comes up out of the water, it is declared from God, This is my beloved Son. It's made known to the world. Jesus has declared Himself in His ministry to be the way unto salvation. 
And this morning on the first Sunday of Epiphany, how appropriate that we should be talking about declaring. Because here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. If God has declared to you His gospel in Jesus Christ, then you have been called to declare Jesus to the community around you. If you know Christ, you are called to declare Christ. We're looking at Romans 10, and we're beginning in verse 12. We're going to be guilty this morning of jumping right into the middle of a thought that Paul is having and expressing. But I'm going to do my best to get us all on the same page. Look at verse 12. I'm going to read 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Coming into Romans 10.12, Paul has been imploring specifically his Jewish brothers and sisters who live in Rome. He's been imploring them to stop seeking a right standing with God. To stop trying to get on good terms with God. To stop trying to like smooth out any difficulties they might have with God through their own merits according to the law. He's telling them, just stop. You cannot earn, the biblical word is righteousness. You can't earn it according to the law. So why would these Jewish people need to stop seeking to be justified according to the law? Well, because Jesus, this is Paul's argument in Romans, Jesus has come into the world and he has achieved what you could not. He lived perfectly according to the law. And so he earned the righteousness that you cannot get on your own. And Paul says, Jesus wants you to come into that and be a part of that. He is inviting you. He's telling his Jewish brothers and sisters who are rejecting the good news. They're rejecting it. He's telling them in Rome, just fall into Jesus. Stop trying to earn it. It has been earned. And Jesus wants to include you in on what he has earned. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 10. In fact, in verse 4, if you just peek at verse 4, it says, For Christ, think about Paul saying this to his Jewish audience. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles in Rome, but here to these Jewish people. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It's finished to everyone who believes. That's what Paul is telling his Jewish friends. How does this happen? How do Jewish people abandon impossible attempts at self-righteousness? How do we abandon trying to earn God's favor and just get God's favor? Well, he already said in verse 4, what did he say? What's the key word there? It starts with a B. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Verse 9, 10, and 11 in Romans 10. It says believe three times. Believe with your, in your heart. Believe the truth. Believe it. That's what Paul is saying. True righteousness is not earned. It's given by, verse 6, it's given by faith. Look at the end of verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith, that's what it says. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend? And he goes on. Righteousness is given by faith. And here in verse 12, 
Paul continues hammering at this truth. Salvation, justification, righteousness, even sanctification, even our glorification into eternity with God. It's all given as we come into Jesus by faith. That is, we come into Christ's righteousness in our union with Jesus. That's what matters. So, whether you are Jewish or Gentile, whether you have a working knowledge of God or not, whether you know the law or you don't know the law, whether you grew up going to church or you didn't grow up going to church, whether you prefer a high church expression or a low church expression, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the only Lord in the universe who can give everyone salvation, righteousness, for all who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you were saved in this way. You came to know, if you're here and you are in Christ, you're you're preparing to take Eucharist this morning. If that's you, you came to know at some point in your life, by the grace of God, you might say he gave you an epiphany. We talked about this last night at the dinner table. Paige, can you stop throwing the pillow right there? We, stopped, we, we talked about this light. Epiphany is like the great aha. If you have had that moment with Jesus and you have put your faith in him, you have believed, then you have salvation. And this is the true path of salvation for every person living. It's the way for salvation for your neighbor, for your dad, for your mom, for your spouse, for your friend, your coworker, the coworker you like and the coworker you don't like. This is the only way to be saved. Paul says to call on the name of the Lord, to call on Jesus. What does this word call mean? What does it mean to call out to Jesus? In Acts 25, the same word is used to speak of an appeal, appealing to someone greater who has more authority, more power. I'm going to appeal to Jesus. Anyone who says, okay, I get it. I can't earn my righteousness. I'm fallen in sin, but Jesus can help. I call on Jesus. I want Jesus to speak on my behalf. I want him to stand in my place. I believe in Jesus. Eugene Peterson says it's a cry for help. God, help me. That's what it means to call on Jesus. So anybody who calls on Jesus will be saved. But saved from what? What do we need to be saved from? Paul uses the word saved in Romans 8. Times, yeah, eight times. And the first time he uses the word is in Romans 5, 9. And it just so happens that in Romans 5, 9, Paul tells us what we need to be saved from. He says, Romans 5, 9, you need to be saved from the wrath of God. That's what we're talking about. Call on the name of Jesus so that you can be saved from the wrath of God. Sin brings about God's wrath. Turning from him, trusting in the culture's normal uh, morals and and patterns instead of in God's will. Uh, Trusting yourself to be the arbiter of right and wrong rather than God. That is sin. 
And Romans 1, 2, and 3, those three chapters are written to convince you and me and Jews and Gentiles we've all sinned and the wrath of God is coming on all of us. The wrath is God's righteous punishment. His justified punishment of us for our sins. That's what it is. And Paul is writing to tell us, to tell the Jews, to tell the Gentiles, to tell your neighbor how we can be saved out from under that deserved wrath. How we can be rescued from that wrath. He quotes in verse 13 is a quote of Joel chapter 2. And in Joel 2, the prophet is saying someday God's kingdom of grace is going to just break forth on the earth. And when that happens, God's kingdom will be made up of people from this nation and this nation and this nation and this nation. All kinds of people. And so Paul says here in Romans, that's happened. God's kingdom has broken forth. You can be saved from the wrath, everyone, by calling on Jesus. We talked about this this morning. Jeff Vanderstelt, in his book, he points out to us, many Christians are not sharing the gospel because they either don't believe God's wrath is a real thing or they don't act like it's a real thing. He says, quote, I have found that most Christians don't really believe that their neighbors, friends, and family members will spend eternity apart from God if they don't have faith in Jesus, end quote. Let's just acknowledge this morning together that sin is a real thing. Your neighbors, your nicest neighbors, are guilty of sinning against God. Your friends, even the best friends you have, they're guilty of sinning against God. Your family members, who, they're, who you have this blood tie with, you know, they're guilty of sinning against God. And His wrath, here, I want you to know this. Again, now. His wrath will fall on all of them, apart from them putting faith in Jesus Christ, calling on Jesus. And I want to encourage us this morning to let this truth begin first. Let's just first let it color the way we pray. That you have that family member, you have that friend who you know has not put faith in Christ You know their destiny. You know it. And you know the only way to be saved is Jesus. Let's pray right now. I want you to silently pray for that person in your mind. Pray that they would be rescued from the coming wrath of God. And I will pray in just a moment for some of my friends. Let's pray. Father, I pray on behalf of my neighbors. I know their destiny without you is your, your justified wrath. But I also know that you've made a way of salvation. If they would call on Jesus, they would be saved. So I pray that they would call on Jesus. And I pray that you would give me courage to share Christ with them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's start praying like that, this week even. One person that you could pray for in that way. This is why Jesus was manifested into the world, to rescue us from wrath. This is why we're church planting, to preach the good news of rescue from wrath. This is why you, I'm telling you, this is why you live in Maricopa, to proclaim 
the good news of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. But how is that all going to happen? How is it going to happen that people will call on Jesus? That's what Paul answers next in verse 14 and 15. Look at it. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, this is Isaiah 53.1, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Paul, he links together this chain of events that happens, which brings people to calling on Jesus. Okay? Paul links it together. Here's how it happens. Here's how your neighbor, my neighbor who lives across the street, here's how he calls on Jesus. Okay? First, to call on Jesus, you got to believe Jesus. That means you got to know who Jesus is. you got to know the truths of what Jesus has done and what He is doing right now. So that, I mean, you don't trust in something you don't know, right? So you've got to come to know Christ, to, to believe in Him and who He is. Things like this. Jesus is the Redeemer. they got to know that. Jesus is God the Son. they got to know that. But Jesus is also fully human. We need to share these truths. Say something else about Jesus. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is great. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is... What? Our hope, our Redeemer. Jesus is loving and kind and gentle and lowly and humble. And Jesus cares about you. Jesus is sympathetic to you. And we could go on like this all day, right? They have to know these truths about Jesus. Or else they cannot call on Him. Okay? But how are they going to know these things? What's it say? Yeah, but first it says, if they have never heard. You can't believe in something you've never heard about. They got to hear about Jesus. We can reveal the love of Jesus with our lives. As we give to those in need, as we expend energy to bless our community, as we don't complain about our noisy neighbors, as we make sacrifices to serve Jesus, we're manifesting His love and presence in the world. But belief in Jesus doesn't come from seeing. What does Paul say? It comes from hearing the truth. Hearing. This word in the New Testament is only ever used for like hearing, audible sounds, and then understanding them. You have to hear the truth of Jesus. In Don Whitney's book, he wrote Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He tells this story. Listen. There was a man in the Pacific Northwest who came to faith in Jesus. When the man told his boss about it, his employer responded, That's great! I'm a Christian. I've been praying for you for years. But the new believer was crestfallen. Why didn't you ever tell me you were a Christian? You were the very reason I have not been interested in the gospel all these years. How can this be? The boss wondered. I've done my best, my very best, to live a Christian life in front of you. This newly saved man responded, that's the point. 
You lived such a model life without telling me it was Christ who made the difference. I convinced myself that if you could live such a happy life without Christ, then so could I. We must abandon. I'm going to say it. St. Francis' words. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Abandon that phrase. Paul says it is in fact necessary for you to use your words. Because belief comes from hearing. He's going to say it again in verse 17. It comes from hearing. we got to declare Jesus. Without declaring Jesus, we rob Him of His glory. And we rob our neighbors of the opportunity to believe and then call. So how will they hear? Well, Paul says, somebody's got to preach. Somebody's got to be sent to preach to them. Let's just, before you're all like, Chandler, I'm not a preacher. What are you talking about? I want to acknowledge something with you. Contextually, in the New Testament preaching, this word preaching, it's only ever used in a technical way. Meaning, a preacher is gifted, qualified, and sent with authority to preach the Word of God. That's how it's used in the New Testament. Preaching is proclaiming publicly the Word of God. That's what preaching is. But the Word is always used for the the minister, the shepherd sent to preach. Perhaps this is an example of preaching what I'm doing right now. Not with my hands, but with my words. In the tradition of the church, ministers are ordained to preach or licensed to preach God's word. In the Anglican tradition, uh, you have to be ordained or licensed to preach by a bishop because what the bishop is supposed to do is look into your life and say, okay, he is called by God, he is qualified, and he says the right things. You can preach. That's why we guard the pulpit. Not just anybody can preach but only those who are sent with authority in our church from the bishop. Does that make sense? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, nope, I was right, 1 Corinthians 1.17, I have been called to preach. That's what he says. Here Paul says to the Romans, how will they hear, these Jewish people in particular, and know and believe if they don't have a preacher? Paul's making a general observation, but he has his eye on these Jewish people in Rome because... Guess what? To them, a preacher has been sent. Paul himself says in Romans 1, I am doing everything I possibly can do to make you understand the gospel. And so he looks at these Jewish brothers and sisters and says, You have no excuse. You have a preacher who was sent. You have heard the good news. You can believe the good news. You can call on Jesus. But in verse 16, Paul says, They keep disobeying the gospel. You know what it means to obey the gospel? It's in the same verse, verse 16. You believe the gospel. So Paul's saying to his Jewish brothers and sisters, come on guys, you've got it all. Call on Christ. And this also gives us encouragement because is it Paul's job to convert his Jewish brothers and sisters? No, that falls on God. But he is preaching faithfully. So let me ask a question. Are we all called to preach? Like Paul. No, we're not all called to that specific preaching ministry. But we might not all be called and sent to preach, but I'm telling you, we're all sent. We're all sent. We're sent into our neighborhoods to make known Jesus, to declare Jesus, because unless your neighbors hear, 
they cannot believe. Unless they believe, they cannot call on Jesus. Paul says in verse 16, but they have not obeyed the gospel. That's his Jewish friends. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And Isaiah, that's an Isaiah reference. He says that. But what's going on there is Isaiah had prophesied that the Jews would be rescued from exile. But some of the Jews in that day didn't believe. And now Paul is preaching a greater rescue, right? He's preaching Jesus, and still some of them aren't believing. That's what's going on there. But verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Brothers and sisters, adults and children in the room, you may not be called to preach, but if you have heard Jesus, if you have believed in Jesus, If you have called on Jesus, I'm telling you, the word of Christ is in your heart. And the way people become saved from the wrath of God is by hearing what? The word word of who? Of Christ. If you have Christ in you, you have Christ to give, to speak, to share. So how will your neighbors and friends and family and community come into faith? Through hearing. Through all the ups and downs of church planting, I believe. This is why we're not moving to England. I believe we are sent here to preach this good news. But I believe all of you in this room, and the ones we're missing this morning, we've all been sent here to preach this good news, to proclaim this good news. But lest we live here, leave here thinking salvation depends on our declaring, you're not right with God unless you're declaring it, I would remind you of Jesus. God looked on me in my helpless state. He looked on you and all of our brokenness and sin, and God sent a preacher. You know, the word preach is used 61 times in the New Testament. I looked it up. Over 30 of them, guess who it refers to? Jesus. Jesus is the sent preacher. Declaring to you and me the good news of salvation. But he's actually the preacher that can preach and say, Look at me. Look at me. Come to me. Call on me for help. I'll help you. Our ministry is to turn people away from us to Jesus. And Jesus, in his preaching ministry, he proclaimed the good news, but then he displayed it by taking in himself all of our sin, all of our broke, of the whole world. And he died on the cross as the righteous man. He died for us who are unrighteous. And what did he declare from the cross? It is finished. The work of your forgiveness is finished, declared over you by Jesus Christ on the cross. At some point in your life, think about this for a moment. Think about who it was or how it happened. At some point in your life, God used a saint, a preacher, a friend, a neighbor, a parent, a pastor. God used someone to call you, to declare the gospel to you. 
And by His grace you said, Help me, Jesus. That's what the Word of Christ looks like in you. It's someone who loves you so much they don't want you to see the wrath of God. And they declare Jesus to you. And we do this to turn glory to Jesus, to give opportunity for salvation. So I want to challenge you this week. Declare Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus to that person you've been praying for. He or she needs you. My neighbors need me to get over any fear I have. They need me to let go and trust Jesus about the fear of rejection, the fear of not knowing enough, the fear of whatever it is, and share with them that salvation is possible in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what Maricopa needs from us. We can clean up garbage. We can help at the different events. We can volunteer and coach and love the world, absolutely. But what they need more than anything is for us to open our mouth and say, you can be saved if you call on the name of Jesus. Let's pray. If you would, hold out your hands. A posture of receiving from the Lord. Declare the good news again to us, Jesus. Speak into our hearts and minds again that you love us. You know how sinful we are and you love us. You know how sinful we are and you died for us. You know we deserve the wrath, but you took it, Jesus. You took the wrath to rescue us. Now we pray for courage to declare what has been declared to us. To pray that you would call people to yourself and then to watch you work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.